Welcome back to Bible Time. We're in Colossians 3 and verse 7. Um, it says here, In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Now this verse is a standalone verse. Pay attention. This verse is a standalone verse means next to nothing. It's one of those verses in the Bible that means a whole lot when it's coupled with the verses all around it, and it means a whole not whenever it's all by itself. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Now, um, the verse before that, we studied some of that yesterday. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. We studied the wrath of God um, previously. We studied the children of disobedience. Um, and now it says, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Now, before we get into this verse, I just wanted to mention we have our family prayer conference coming up um, August 31st through September 3rd. There's information on the website there. Um, that'll be here in Missouri. I encourage um, anyone that is seeking the Lord um, with a pure heart and a clear conscience to look into that. If that's something that you might be able to make out, I hope you're praying for revival in this world um, that we live in. Now, um, this in the which ye also walked, in the which ye also walked when ye lived in them. This points us back to verse 5 where it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, to mortify your members, we discussed what that meant, and along with that, we discussed fornication and uncleanness, the two sins that are mentioned there that are done without the body, and those are in the podcast. I believe the title is Mortify Therefore Your Members. And then on the following podcast, we studied inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And there's some really good truth that we were given by the Lord as we studied that that will really help you if you have if you struggle with sin if you have a war a battle with sin one of the things that will help you to get victory is to understand what sin is to understand how how the devil is working in your mind to bring you to sin with your body all sin begins in the heart jesus said from without the man. He says, nothing that is without the man can defile the man. It's that which is within the man that defiles the man. Now, he wasn't saying that pornography can't defile a man, and that's how the this wicked world, pay attention closely, eyeballs, this wicked world defi- redefines what Jesus taught when he said, there's nothing that is without a man that can defile the man. He was talking about to eat with unwashing hands. He wasn't talking about watching a dirty movie or listening to dirty jokes. Now, If you are willing to sit and listen to a dirty joke, if you are willing to sit and watch a dirty movie, it's because you already have the defilement and the wickedness in your heart. So the dirty movie is not defiling you. It is your wicked heart that is enjoying the dirty movie that is defiling you. And the dirty movie is nothing more than a manifestation of what is already there in your dirty heart. Now, a lot of people in our day of lasciviousness, they say there's nothing from without the man that can defile him. I can watch these dirty movies. They just don't affect me. I just watch them for the good part, and I just kind of ignore the bad part, and it doesn't really affect me. And I say, on the authority of the Word of God, you're a liar, sir. You are a liar. It doesn't affect you in the sense that it doesn't make you sin, but that's because you are already a slave to sin. You are already a servant to sin, and that's why it doesn't affect you, so to speak, because you have already yielded your members. You've already yielded your heart to sin, and now the defilement that's in your body is acting out, is being acted upon by you sitting there and enjoying the dirty movie. 
you sit there and watch people that are not married act like they're married on TV and you say that it doesn't affect you, that's because your heart is already full of adultery. Your heart is already full of all that wickedness. And because your heart is full of it, you can sit there and watch it without it affecting you. And that is the only way that you can sit there and watch it without it affecting you. If your heart was pure, you would run from that because the Bible says flee immorality and your pure heart would be offended to such a degree that you would flee from that immorality. The fact you can sit there is proof that you are already defiled. The movie is not what is defiling you. The movie is the manifestation of your defilement and it is the act of what is already in the heart as you sit there and enjoy the filth of the world. You are proving what is already in your heart. It's already there. It's just being made manifest by what you are enjoying. Your actions speak louder than words. How many of you have ever heard the saying, your walk talks louder than your talk talks? Your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You can say whatever you want, but when you do something, it tells people a whole lot more about you than what you say. You can tell me you're a hard worker, but when you show up and it's hot outside and you're tired and your water's warm and you don't, or hot even to drink and you don't feel good and there's a job to be done and you told me you're a hard worker, what you do in that moment is going to tell me a whole lot more about you than what you say in the early morning hours whenever you got hired for the job and the sun was still down over the horizon and it was cool and there was a breeze blowing. Your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. He says, in the which ye also walked. In the which ye also walked. So this mortification of the members to um, avoid, to flee from, to abstain from fornication and uncleanness, the outward manifestations of the next three there, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The, um, the mortification of the members is what we are commanded to. And then he says that the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience because of the fornication. The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Don't tell me that they're just getting to know each other better before they get married. Don't tell me it's not a big deal with God. Don't tell me they're just young people. They're just kids. Don't tell me it's just a mistake. Don't tell me that it's just, um, you know, everybody does it. God says that because of fornication, the wrath of God comes cometh on the children of disobedience. Because of uncleanness, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Because of evil concupiscence, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Because of inordinate affection, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And because of covetousness, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now those other three there, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, you have no excuse by saying that you don't understand what those are. You can study your Bible and figure out what they are. The Bible teaches it. Uh, if it helps you, I offer you the podcast we previously did. It's just an acronym, I-A-E-C-C-I, because I wanted to get in um, something to remind you about all three of those things. Inordinate affection, I-A, evil concupiscence, E-C, and covetousness, which is idolatry, so C and I. 
And these things bring the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. We talked yesterday about how the gospel demands a response. The gospel is a command. The, the Bible has commanded all men through the, through the commandment of God Almighty, speaking through holy men who were his penmen. God breathed the words. God guided the hands of the men that wrote the words. God preserved the words. And we have the perfectly preserved, inspired, infallible word of God today to tell us to obey the gospel. And if you are disobedient to the gospel, you're a child of disobedience. We studied that yesterday. Children of disobedience go to hell. The Bible says that in the end times that an angel is going to go through the heavens, go through the heaven and preach the everlasting gospel of God, and it will be to um, repent. I didn't look it up before. Uh, I wish I had it handy right now. Let me just check real quick here. I know that's kind of a side note from what we're talking about today. Here it is, Revelation 14, 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So that everlasting gospel begins there with fearing God. And fearing God, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. It's also the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the fear of the Lord has to do with repentance. The fear of God is the motivation for repentance. And giving glory to God is yielding to his sovereign authority and power. Now, if you are fearful of God because you have sinned against him and you recognize his sovereign power and authority, if you're fearful of God and then you turn from your sins in obedience to God, thereby giving glory to God, and because of your turning from God and the peace that you now have with God, you begin to worship God, then you're obeying the everlasting gospel that will be preached there in Revelation chapter 14. Some people try to say that there's a new way to get saved in the tribulation, and that's just not the case. It's the same gospel right there in Revelation 14, 6, as it is in Colossians 3, and as it is in John chapter 3, and as it is in Genesis chapter 3 and everywhere else in the Bible. It's the same gospel. Fear God and give and give glory. Fear God and give glory to Him. And you do that by turning in repentance from your sins and obeying the gospel, which is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the children of disobedience simply means that they are disobedient children. They refuse to obey. Now, many people claim to be saved, but are not saved. And this is the context that this gives that is given for Colossians 3, 7, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. So this gives us the idea here that the people that are being talked to at the church of Colossae used to be children of disobedience, and now they're not. Does that make sense? So that's why he said, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, past tense. So there has been a change that has been made. And what is the change that has been made? Now these children of disobedience are no longer walking in these sins. 
the sins that they used to walk in, the things that they used to do, the fornication, the uncleanness, the inordinate affection, the evil concupiscence, the covetousness, which is idolatry, those things are how they used to walk. And this implies a new walk. Now, Paul's going to go on by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 8 and say, but now ye also put off all these. So based on this premise that they once did these sins, but now no longer walk in them, he's going to command them to an even higher higher level of Christian living that Lord willing we'll look at in more detail tomorrow. In short, he says here, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. He says to put off all these, and he says, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So this, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, is showing us a contrast today. And that contrast is what we need to look at. We need to look closely at this contrast and examine ourselves. The Bible says, examine yourself, whether ye be in the faith. Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruit. Ye shall know them by their fruit. He says, um, a fig tree... He says, every tree is known by its fruit. A good tree bringeth forth good fruit, and a bad tree bringeth forth evil fruit. An evil tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Let me go ahead and turn there real quick. I believe that's Matthew 7. Yes, here we go. Um, Verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? or figs of thistles. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, Jesus doesn't leave much room for imagination in that verse. When he says, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, that ties directly in with every other reference to hellfire and the end times and the judgment all throughout the New Testament. It's absolutely clear from a scriptural from any kind of scriptural survey even, not even an in-depth study that Jesus is saying that these that bear no good fruit will be cast into the lake of fire. So does that mean that you're saved by works? What do you think? Are we saved by works? Do you get saved by having good fruit? I remember um, doing a stint as a um, principal at a Christian school, and we had a guest speaker come in, and he preached to the the young people there at the school on having fruit, bearing fruit as a Christian. He had a whole bunch of different types of fruit there, and he was throwing the fruit to the kids as he talked about it. One of the young men that was there was listening carefully, and this the preacher talked about Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. We'll, We'll touch that briefly today. Um, Lord willing. And one of those young men there had been obviously was obviously was walking according to the course of this world. He was not walking according to as a child of obedience. He was obviously walking as a child of disobedience with no desire for God, no desire for God's word, no desire for God's things, no holiness, no 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 practical desire to be holy. Just a desire to get by with at bare minimum and live his life and make his grades as best he can so he can get back to his friends and the things he enjoys doing and have a little fun. And if fun means sin, then well, maybe God'll understand. Maybe I can get right with later. So that was kind of this boy's attitude. Well, after this message on fruit, the boy came up at the lunchroom and wanted to um, buy his pizza. 
because we had pizza there at the lunchroom that day. And when he wanted to buy his pizza, I can't remember what the price was for the pizza, but he overpaid for his pizza. And when he was offered his change, they offered him extra money, his extra money back, he pushed it back and said, no, I don't want it. You keep it. The man taking the change said, which happened to me, me. I, so I took the change and I, I pushed it back to him. I, says, I said, no, that's all right. You, um, that's, that's too much. You overpaid for the pizza. And he says, no, I want to overpay for the pizza. And I said, why? And he said, fruit. I want fruit. And he took his plate and walked away. Did that boy get the idea? He missed it, didn't he? He missed it. You can't, you can't make fruit out of thin air. You can't, a, a, a thorns do not bear grapes. And just because you try, you're a thorny bush and you try to make a grape appear by doing something you think is a good work, it doesn't make it a good work. It's got to line up with God's word. So we've got to deal with these thorns, these thorns of fornication, the thorns of uncleanness, the thorns of inordinate affection, the thorns of evil concupiscence, the thorns of covetousness, which is idolatry. If you're sitting there and your life is characterized by thorns and thistles of sin, you can't make up for that by trying to hang a few apples on your branches. Besides that, they'll rot because they're not getting any life. You can try, you can go to church and buy a few religious apples and hang them on your thorn bush, but does that make you an apple tree? It absolutely does not, and your fruit is going to rot. And when it rots, it will just manifest even more clearly what you're really made of. And by the way, that boy went on trying to buy fruit for that about that whole day. I think he made it to the end of the day. He was feeling pretty good about himself whenever he went home from all appearances. And by the next day, he was right back to his old ways. Just back to the bare minimum, scraping by. And he'd gotten enough fruit to content himself that he was probably a child of God. And that characterizes the Christian faith in America, the so-called Christian faith in America. We do a few good deeds, hang them on our thorn bushes, and pretend like we're okay with God. Now, if your life is being characterized by these sins, then you are a child of disobedience. In our studies on these sins, we recognized a progression from sins of the heart, um, the root causes deep down inside, to the real actions that come out. The action tells what has been going on on the inside. So when a preacher or a Bible teacher suddenly turns against his family and his church and goes to the world reproaching Christ, this it's not something that happened suddenly even though it looks sudden now one day he may be leading songs and going to the nursing home and teaching bible school to his family and the next day he may be drunk in a gutter somewhere downtown and his family not even know where he's at and to them it was very sudden but the reality is that what happened to that man happened over a long progression of lost battles with sin in the heart it doesn't ever happen suddenly. No child wakes up at, at as soon as he becomes cognizant enough to think, let's say around five or six, and starts to think, oh, well, well, my daddy is a firefighter, or my daddy is an electrician, or my daddy is a dump truck driver. And that child doesn't sit up and say, oh, I want to go be a bank robber. It doesn't happen. No kid just does that. 
Maybe if their daddy's a bank robber, they might aspire to it. But any normal child in a normal family with a working dad who cares for them is going to probably want to do what his daddy does. Or maybe what his uncle does. Or maybe what somebody else that he knows that he looks up to does. He may Maybe he knows a soldier that marches in uniform and he goes, wow, I want to be a soldier. Maybe he knows a garbage truck driver that drives one of those big garbage trucks. And to that little boy who doesn't understand um, a lot of the difficult parts of the job, he might say, oh, I want to be a trash truck driver when I grow up. He might say, I want to be a doctor. I want to I want to help people. I want to be an astronaut. I want to fly airplanes. He might have all kinds of ideas. Most of the time, little boys have the craziest ideas, the most exciting ideas. Whatever, can, whatever makes them the most excited, that's what they say they want to be when they grow up. But they don't just sit there and say, oh, I want to be a sinner. Oh, I want to go hurt people. Oh, I want to go steal from banks. I want to go rob. I want to I want to get a family and get some kids and then leave them and make them hate my guts. No kid wants to do that. Do they? Nobody. So why do people grow up and do all that stuff? The answer is a long progression of sin in the heart that is never dealt with. Sin in the heart, festering underneath the scene, things that nobody can see but God. And they're sitting there festering and growing day after day after day after day. And and then guess what? After that sin festers in the heart for a while, there's a sneaky little action. And so, and they'll start doing something sneaky to to gratify the sinful desires of their heart. And they'll sneak this and they'll sneak that. And sooner or later, if it never gets dealt with, it'll come bursting out in the open and everybody around will be able to see what you have been meditating on and thinking about and desiring with your wicked heart all your life. Now, And that's really what it is. That's really what happens whenever somebody goes off into sin. These children of disobedience, whenever they blow out and go off into sin, they are man manifesting what their heart is. They're just showing what's in the heart. Now this is counterculture. What I'm teaching you today is straight out of the Bible, but it's absolutely opposite of what our culture teaches us. Our culture teaches us that your heart is basically good and that if you sin, it's because society has done evil to you and has not given you the opportunity that you needed to grow and prove how good you are. But it doesn't matter how much opportunity you get to prove how good you are, you will do evil apart from Christ. Apart from repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, every one of us will do evil with both hands and all our desire. Now, some people manage to live most of their life keeping their sin relatively hidden, and the average person doesn't really have any idea how much you're sinning in secret and how much you're sinning in your heart. You can hide it really good for a long time, but I'm telling you, eventually it's going to come out. Most people, it comes out to a degree and the loved ones will see it. Now, a lot of people in this wicked world will hide their sin and they'll hide the sins of their family members and they'll try and cover up what their family members do. And so those sins will be hidden and the public may not know what's really going on behind the scene. But God knows. God knows. 
So this, so for example, we talked about the preacher that blows out. This doesn't happen suddenly. It comes from a long series of lost battles with sin, unconfessed sin, that inordinate affection and evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, burning in the heart. Now there's a little song, and I'm going to do my best to kind of sing it here. So just bear with me. And Fanny Crosby wrote it. It goes, "Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin." Each victory will help you, some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you, comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Yeah, some other verses I don't remember as very well. Very good verses. Shun evil companions, bad language, disdain, God's name hold in reverence, nor take it in vain. Be thoughtful and earnest, kind-hearted and true. And there's where my memory fails me. Very good song. You can look it up. The name is Yield Not to Temptation. Now, that song says each victory will help you some other to win. And that is true. Every time you say no to Satan, every time you mortify the deeds of your flesh, every time you say no to sin, it strengthens your resolve and strengthens you against the enemy. But the exact opposite is also true. Every time you yield to sin opens you up to greater demonic attack. Every time you yield to sin, it lowers your ability to resist the devil. You indulge in one little glance. You look, you're walking down the road, and you see someone coming, and the devil tempts you to enjoy a wicked thought. And you just, instead of fleeing in your mind and turning your eyes and turning your mind and eyes to Jesus, you enjoy just an indulgent thought for just a moment. And then you go, no, I'm not going to think about it. Well, I'm glad you said, no, I'm not going to think about it. But the problem is you indulged for about a second. And God have mercy on my soul. I've had to pray about even this very thing, even lately, even today. Had to deal with this today, exactly. And there, there that thought is, and you just indulge in that thought for just a moment, and then as soon as you indulge in it, you say no and turn away, maybe not as soon, you indulge for just a moment. Well, you have sin that has to be dealt with. And when you do that, you need to pray what I prayed, and what I, and I, I can pray right now with a, without faking it, Lord Jesus, forgive me for thinking that thought. Forgive me for allowing that thought a place in my mind. Forgive me for even entertaining that for a moment. That That is an offensive thought to your holiness. You're a pure God, a holy God. Your eyes cannot behold evil, and wickedness should never be allowed in my heart or in my mind. And Lord, have mercy on me in Jesus' name. And you turn from it, you confess it, you get it right. And you don't allow it to sit and you don't allow it to fester. But if you leave that thought there and you let it fester, then next time you have given place to the devil and the devil will have the ability to attack you even more and to place even worse thoughts and and get you to indulge even longer. And the more dirty thoughts you indulge on, the more the sooner your dirty actions will come to the surface. And that is just the reality. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sit up there, bud. And listen to me. 
I want to ask you a question. If you sow corn, what are you going to grow? What? Corn, he said. That's exactly right. Hey, little girl over there, I want to ask you a simple question. Yes, I'm talking to you. If you put an apple seed in the ground, what kind of tree will it grow? An apple tree. You got it exactly right. Now, the if you sow something, you are going to reap what you sow unless you kill the seeds and the roots. Now, can you do that? Some of you all just helped plant some flowering trees down at the church today, didn't you? Raise your hand if you were in on planting those trees. Now, we had fun planting those trees. But what happens if somebody goes and takes and plants and pours a bunch of tree poison around the base of those trees? Will they live? They will die. Now, if you plant wicked seeds in your heart, there's a way to kill them. The way to kill them is repentance, turning from your sin to Jesus Christ. If this wasn't true, I couldn't do anything for the Lord. I would be dead in the water because I've planted a lot of wicked seeds in my life. And I hate that I have. But guess what? God has given us hope. Now, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, Maybe not so much. Uh, But um, that is actually where I'm supposed to be next. Look at that. There is hope. There is hope. If you have planted seeds of wickedness, you can turn and repent. You can confess them to Jesus. Tell Jesus about them. Say, Jesus, I just planted a half acre of briars. I just planted an acre of locust trees in my heart with what I just did. And I cannot afford to bear the fruit. Help me, Jesus. And then with the help of Jesus, and by the way, it might not be a flash in the pan prayer. You might not be able to get those locust trees out with one little prayer. You may have to sit there and pray about them over and over and over again. And again, I'll use myself as an example. When I have sinned and allowed Satan to to tempt me and yielded my members instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, there have been times where it has taken weeks to root out those seeds because they keep popping up and I'll keep remembering things. And when I remember them, guess what? Once you've given your flesh a taste of sin, the flesh likes sin. Did you, somebody told me once, once you've tasted sin, you'll never get the taste out of you. Well, And what he was saying is basically this. Once you have sinned, you don't have any hope of ever being pure again. And the man was wrong. And Satan was using him as an instrument of destruction and doubt and fear in my life to try and get me to give up and stop serving the Lord. He didn't know he was being used by Satan, but he was being used by Satan. Just like Peter let himself be used by Satan to cast doubt on the will of the Father to Jesus whenever he spoke and said that he would go and be delivered up and die and be buried buried and raised again the third day. And Peter said, far, forbid it, Lord, or far be it from thee, Lord. And he said, it's not going to happen. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And this brother in Christ was doing that to me. He was, because he knew I'd had a struggle in an area. And why did he know it? Because I had confessed it. Sometimes you need to confess openly. Sometimes you need to keep it to yourself and just get it right with God. But I'd ask specific prayer in an area. And this brother had heard about it. Well, his answer was basically, once you've tasted it, you can't get the taste out of your mouth. Hogwash. The reality is, your flesh already knows the taste. Your flesh already has a hunger and thirst for sin. It always has had that hunger and thirst, and it always will. 
Your flesh is wicked and you can't reform your flesh. And the most pure and holy man that ever lived that has never ever seen a dirty picture, he's never listened to a dirty joke, he's never seen an immodest woman walk down the side of the road, he's lived in, a, in some kind of... Uh, monastery all his life and all he's ever done is read the Bible, that man has the same capacity and hunger and thirst for sin as a man who got saved after 40 years of being the worst drunk and pervert that ever lived. If you don't believe me, it's because you don't believe the Bible. There is nothing good in your flesh. Nothing good in your flesh. That's why the Bible says to mortify it. There is hope for you if you have sown seeds of sin. And the hope is to repent. The hope is to turn. He says here to Christians... He says here to Christians, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he says to mortify what? Fornication. If you're a fornicator, let me tell you something. There's hope. If you're a Christian and you've been living in fornication, there's hope. You don't have to stay there. The devil's a liar. Listen to me closely. The devil will come to you when you're living in sin and he'll, I hate that nasty serpent. I hate him. They say you're not supposed to hate anybody. The devil's not in anybody. He's the serpent. And I hate that serpent. He's so wicked and such a liar. He's much more powerful than I, and I would never tangle with him myself. But through the blood of Jesus, I resist him and rebuke him in the name of Jesus and ask the Lord to rebuke him. However, I'm supposed to do that. Have mercy on me for my weakness and help me, Lord, against the enemy. But that old wicked serpent, the devil, you know what he'll do to you? Listen up to me today. Do you know what he'll do? He'll, he'll teach you. He'll say, hey, hey, look at that. Look over there. You can get that. You can get that magazine. You can steal that candy bar. You can take that that's not yours. You can you can think that dirty thought. Nobody's going to see you. And he'll talk you into it. It'll be fun. It won't hurt anything. Ah, what's the big deal? Nobody will ever know. Nobody will find out. And then as soon as you commit the sin, guess what he's going to do to you? As soon as you commit the sin, you dirty, rotten sinner, you no good creep, look at what you just did. You're rotten. You're sick. You'll never be any good. God can't use you. You can't be a good Christian. Why don't you just throw in the towel? You've gone this far. Listen up, listen up, listen up, listen up. You've gone this far. You might as well go the rest of the way. You already drank half that can of beer and you can feel that buzz. You know you shouldn't have done it. Why don't you just go ahead and slam it and finish your six pack while you're at it? That's exactly what the devil does. First he talks you into sinning and then he rubs your face in it until you feel like such a dirt ball and so full of guilt that you throw up your hands in despair and say there's no hope for me now. I can't be clean now. I can't be pure now. He'll get you to fornicate and then he'll say what's the use? You're not a virgin anymore. You're not pure anymore. Just go live with your boyfriend. What a liar. The devil's a liar. Do you hear me today? The devil's a dirty liar. There's hope. If you turn and repent, God can root out the seeds. God can take out the roots. That's worth clapping over. That's worth hallelujahing over. You don't have to live in your sin. The devil says, well, you already looked at that dirty picture. There's no point. Just go on and find about a thousand more. There's a point. Flee immorality. Get out now. Get away from it now. Run away from that sin.
You stole that candy bar. You better not tell anybody. Since you already stole one, what's the big deal? Go ahead and steal another one. You just tell Satan he's a liar. And run to Jesus. And beg God for mercy and grace and power. And start doing the work of mortifying your members. These are things that the children of disobedience do, Christian. Don't walk in these things. Don't walk in these things. You say, you sound like you have experience in this. Absolutely. You'll be all right. Hop back up in your seat. I absolutely do have experience in sin, unfortunately. And guess what? You do too. You do too, and don't you dare lie to me about it. God knows if you're lying. From the youngest to the oldest, you've got experience in sin. And if you've been saved more than one day, you have had the devil pull these kinds of stunts on you. You just might not even recognize that it's the devil. You might think that you're the one putting these thoughts in your head, telling you, don't turn and repent, just go on in your sin. Now, your flesh is wicked, but the devil will animate and inspire your flesh to sin. He'll give you inspiration to sin. He'll point you towards sin. He'll show you the way to sin. Now, these are the, this is the way that we used to walk. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. I want you to notice that lived in them. The state of living, living in. Whenever you live in a house, it means that you're there every day. Or nearly every day, unless you go on a trip. Sit up over there, pay attention. If you live in a house, it means that you live there every day unless you go on a trip, right? It means that's where you sleep. It means that's where you eat most of your meals. It it means that that's where you rest. It means that that's where you find recreation. It, It means that that's where you go whenever you're done putting on your public face. Where you live is where your hair will be the messiest, where your face will be the dirtiest. Where you live is where you're the most natural. Where you live is where you're the most natural, the most, um, the most real. And he says here, these are the things in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Now, when we were sinners, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, sin was what we lived in. Fornication, it was natural. That was where we rested. That's where we were easy. Uncleanness, yeah, we'll just go with it. It didn't really bother us too bad. I mean, we didn't really want people to see it, so maybe we didn't put up a big sign about it and make it very public, but we lived in it. These were the things that we lived in. This is how we lived. Sit still. This is how we lived. This was our manner of life, fornication and uncleanness, inordinate affection, which is desire for something more than God, evil concupiscence, a desire to commit sin, covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, if you haven't studied, if you're following these studies at all, and you haven't heard the podcast where we studied out inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, please go look it up. It is very needful. This is something that you need. You need to understand what God is talking about whenever he says these things. Because until you truly understand them, you won't be able to really have the victory over them that God wants you to have. You need to be able to recognize when sin is fermenting in your heart and what's actually going on so that you can do battle against those sins in the name of Jesus Christ. So he says, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. So these children of disobedience, they walk in their sin, they live in their sin. 
to them sin is life. Now, we're going to look at a verse that says, if you, walk, if you live in the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. To a child of disobedience, to live in sin is to live. People say, you've only got one life. Better live what you can. Enjoy what you can when you can. The lost man is characterized by this walk. The lost man is characterized by this life. The lost man is characterized by living in covetousness, which is idolatry, evil concupiscence, which is an enjoyment of sinning, the thrill of committing sin. You say, I've never had that. Baloney. Baloney. Go back and study it. I dare you. And then tell me you've never had that. The thrill of committing sin. Once you understand evil concupiscence, it will explain the world that we live in. Why do people do what they do? Once you, figure, once you understand evil concupiscence, it will help you. Um, inordinate affection. Desires, ungodly desires for things that are forbidden you by God. These are the things that make the life, that characterize the life of the lost man. But the saved man is commanded in verse 5 to mortify their mem- his members. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth. And we need to see how. Go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. So our verse here as you're turning there says, in whom in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. This contrast that we're studying is the contrast between the old man and the new man. The contrast between the man before he was saved and the man after he was saved. Now the man before he was saved, the child of disobedience, as we talked about, has a disorderly walk. Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruit. And we looked at that just a little bit earlier. We're not getting into that too much today. Titus 1 and verse 16 um, deals with that as well. Um, as well as Philippians 3.18, says that some walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Some people walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Some people say, no man is my enemy. No man is my enemy. Well, that's not entirely accurate, not an entirely accurate statement. Uh, We say, well, if you're a Christian, no man is your enemy. That's not true. The Apostle Paul says, some men walk, he says, I tell you even weeping that some men walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And if I'm a friend of the cross of Christ and someone's an enemy of the cross of Christ, then that enemy of my friend is my enemy. The enemy of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is my enemy. And there are many people who are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I don't look at them as the one to be fought or the one to be destroyed because we rest not against flesh and blood, as the Bible says, but they're still my enemy. There's people out there who are putting out wicked material, and in that sense, they are my enemy. They're trying to get me to sin, and they're trying to bring out they're trying to bring out the wickedness that is in my own heart through the wickedness that is in their heart. They're trying to exacerbate it. They're trying to grow it. They're trying to magnify the sin of my heart. They're trying to blaspheme the scriptures. There are people who are teaching false doctrine, who are out there preaching false doctrine. Now, in the sense of their eternal soul, they're not my enemy, but in the sense of their walk, they are walking as my enemy. And you're a fool to try and 
just buddy up with them and throw your arm around their shoulder. And that's where this world has gone to. That's one of the reasons our churches are apostate, because we got this idea where we say, well, no man is my enemy, so we treat every man like a brother. And that's absolutely foolhardy, and it's, and it's wickedness. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, if you are um, no longer walking in these things, no longer walking in this sin, you're going to lose some of those friends, you're going to lose some of those companions, and there are some people you're not going to be able to walk with. But cutting off people is not how you fix it. Cutting off people isn't how you fix it. Shutting off the TV isn't ultimately how you fix it. Now, there's some people you can't hang out with whenever you're trying to walk the as a follower of Jesus Christ. But there And there's some things that you're not going to be able to do. You are not going to be an effective Christian if you are watching television. If that is part of your regular diet, you will not be an effective Christian. I don't care if it's just the news channel. You're not going to be an effective Christian if you have a regular diet of television. And if you go through and try and pick through the muck of this world and select movies to watch, you say, well, I'm not going to connect to the TV. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to pick through some of these movies. I'm going to tell you something. You are going to be defiled. You are going to put things in front of your face that are going to hinder your walk, that you are going to see things that hurt you that bring out the defilement of your flesh and bring those things to remembrance and subdue the work of God in your heart you are going to be affected adversely if you fill your life and your head with those things but shutting off the TV isn't going to make you walk as a follower of Jesus Christ How am I going to walk as a follower of Jesus Christ? Shutting off your phone won't make you a follower of Jesus Christ. Going and living in a monastery will not make you a follower of Jesus Christ. We have to live in the world, but we're not of the world. So how do we do this? Galatians 5.16 says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. It lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So this is the how. Here it tells us how. How are you going to walk as a Christian? How are you going to walk not as a child of disobedience? The only way to walk as a follower of Jesus Christ is to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is not getting some kind of emotional high and speaking gibberish. Walking in the Spirit is walking in obedience to the Word of God through the power freely given by God by faith. Whenever you, as a Christian, have been saved by grace through faith, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, if you are saved and you're trying to follow Jesus, the only way to walk as a follower of Jesus is to go 
to God by faith saying, God, your word says that I am not to have inordinate affection. I'm not to have covetousness. So I shouldn't be looking at someone else's wife. And wives, you can say, I shouldn't be looking at somebody's, somebody else's husband. I shouldn't be desiring things that are forbidden me from God and meditating on them, which should be my inordinate affections. Desiring them and, and meditating on those desires. The covetousness is letting the desire, is allowing the desire to turn, the thought to turn into a desire. And then feeding on that desire is that inordinate affection where you set your affection on that thing that you're not to have. And you know that that's true. So you go to God and say, God, I don't want to do this, but my flesh warth against my spirit, my spirit against my flesh. Help me, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I believe that what you say is right. And I believe that what you said is right, is right. And what you said is wrong, is wrong. And I don't want to do wrong, Lord. Please give me the power in Jesus' name to live the way that you want me to live. And then by faith, you go and live it. You say, well, how do you live it by faith? Same way you get saved by faith. You believe it and then you act on it. And you act like it, even though just it talks about calling things that are not as though they are. So you say, well, so maybe you're a young man and you've struggled with lust your whole life. And you say, well, well, I've never had freedom from this. I can't, maybe you say, I can't even look at a lady. I can't even look at a young woman without having, um, instantly having all kinds of, of wicked thoughts. You need to plow up that ground through repentance like we talked about earlier. You need to believe God that he said he wants you to have a pure mind. You need to get in the Bible and renew your mind and cry out to God for power to be holy. Power over the sin. Power over the flesh that lusteth against the spirit. Because the spirit lusteth against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. These two are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things which you ought. So you need to recognize that you cannot win the victory. Look at me. That man that told me, hey, if you've ever struggled in that area, you'll never have any, you'll never get over the taste for it. In one sense, there is truth. But in another sense, it's a lie. In the sense that my flesh will never get over it, there's some truth. Because guess what? My flesh wanted it to begin with. My flesh wanted sin before it knew it was sin. My flesh wanted to do wickedness before I knew it was possible to do the wickedness my flesh wanted to do. My flesh is wicked. Do you hear me? My flesh is wicked. It's impossible for me to do good in my flesh. That is true, but it is impossible for the spirit of God to do wickedness. And if any man have not the spirit of God, he is none of his. That's what it says in Romans chapter eight, which we're trying to get to as well. It's impossible for the spirit of God to do wickedness. And the spirit of God lives in me because I'm saved. And because I'm saved and the spirit of God lives in me, there's part of me that we're going to get into and study, um, Lord willing, in the next coming days. There's part of me that is holy and pure already and perfect. And by the power of God and by faith in his word, that spirit, by simply trusting God and then walking by faith in the new man, you can live a holy life. You can be delivered from your sin. You know, deliverance from sin is nothing more than laying hold on the promises of God by faith. You say, oh, I just can't defeat this sin. I'll tell you why you can't defeat it. Because you either don't want to defeat it or you don't believe God has the power to defeat it. Those are the only two reasons. 
Either you don't want to defeat that sin or you don't believe God has the power to defeat that sin. But if you believe the word of God and you believe the commands of God and you believe everything that we're talking about today in the word of God, that that's the way that the children of disobedience walk. And if you believe that God has a holy walk for you to walk, then it's time to take by faith what God said and call things that are not as though they are so that they can be. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, say, I'm not a pervert. You struggling with all that sin? Just repent it. Now, if you try try and put this faith walk into effect without repentance, you are dead as a goose. You're shot. You're absolutely done. You're going to come up with some kind of cultic religion. But if you have truly repented of your sin and got it under the blood of Jesus Christ, confessed it to God, he said that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you have confessed your sins and repented of them and turned from them to God, who promised to forgive you, you say, I've done this a hundred times. God didn't put a limit on it. You confess it you repent it you get right now then it's time if you have repented to take a step forward as a clean perfect pure christian believing by faith the word of god that he that saved you is able to keep you that he's able to keep you from falling i know whom i have believed and that he is able to keep that which i have committed unto him against that day and then you take that step forward and when that temptation hits you say no that's not me even though your flesh is screaming it is me you say it's not me i am a new creature in christ old things are passed away all things are become new and you walk away from that sin and how do you do it by faith by faith not in your own power to walk away from the sin but in the power of the holy spirit to free you from it so you say well i tried that and it worked once and then i failed try it again confess your sin get right with god tell him everything you did wrong you don't have to post it on facebook just get it right with god and when you're right with god get up and walk forward by faith that is the walking in the spirit the bible says if ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father which is in heaven give the holy ghost to them that ask him that's a promise You can ask for the Holy Ghost and receive the Holy Ghost. You say, well, I got the Holy Ghost when I got saved, and I got what I got, and I get what I get, and I don't get any more, and I got to get there on what I got, because what I got is what I get. I'm sorry for you, because you're not going to get very far with what you got. The Holy Spirit indwells you when you're saved, but the Holy Spirit wants to fill your mind, your your will, your emotions with his presence and with his power to turn you into a living, walking, breathing image of Christ to this world, to make you an ambassador for Jesus Christ so that your gestures, so that your facial expressions, so that the places you go, the things that you say, the things that you do, the way you act, all of it reflects Jesus Christ. That is God's will for you you he says let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus he says to have your mind renewed he says i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto god which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind
This is what we're talking about today. Changing your mind by faith. Not thinking like a child of disobedience anymore. How? Why? How do I do it? By faith. You And how do you get faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say, I've been sinning and I can't seem to stop. Shut everything off and get your Bible out and read it. And read it and read it and read it. And you say, that doesn't help me. Then you might be lost. If that's the way you live, if your life is characterized by sin and you have no victory, and the Bible has no power to change you and give you holy living and power from God, if you can cry out to God and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can be holy. I'm not asking for gifts so that I can look holy to other men. I'm not asking for exhibitionism. I'm not asking for anything that anybody can even see. I just want my heart to be pure. I just want my mind to be pure. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can have a pure mind. If that doesn't work for you, you might be lost. Either you're lost or there's one other possibility. There's something God is dealing with you about that you are ignoring. Did you know that sometimes the sins that we want rid of, God allows because we have a worse sin. In his mind, it's worse that he's dealing with. Now to us, it doesn't seem so worse because we rate sins on how embarrassing they are when people find out about them. That's how we rate sin. If my sin will cause shame to me personally, if people find out about it, it's a bad sin. But if it doesn't bother my culture, my friends, my family, my people, then it's not a very bad sin. That's how we look at it. But some of those sins that don't bother our culture are highly offensive in the eyes of God. Highly offensive, such as covetousness, which is idolatry. One of the first commandments of the 10 is thou shalt not make into thee any graven image. The first commandment, he says, I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Work Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, and to love thy neighbor as thyself is the second commandment. So the first commandment, the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you're covetous, you are breaking that commandment. And if you're covetous, well, our whole culture is covetous. So you can sit there and be covetous and it doesn't really bother you and it doesn't shame you, but it brings reproach to your, to your creator. And Jesus Christ may be dealing with you about your covetousness, but you don't really want to deal with God about your covetousness because you're not embarrassed by it. But maybe there's a perversion that you've been dabbling in, something that you've been hiding from people, but it's threatening to get out and it keeps creeping out around the corners and it pops out here and it pops out there. You know what the answer may be? Maybe God's dealing with you about something that you aren't embarrassed about and you don't hate your sin like God hates your sin and you haven't been in the book to let God show you your sin so you don't even really see it as sin. So you cry on your face and you beg God to wash you from the sin that you think is so embarrassing. But all the while God is saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not dealing with you about that sin until you obey me and deal with this sin. Did you know that God would sometimes rather you commit an embarrassing sin than go on living in your hidden sin that you're not embarrassed about? Now, how do we walk in the Spirit? It's simply by faith. The flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. We're running out of time here today. We're going to go over to Romans 8 real briefly. Someday we will, Lord willing, we'll study Romans 8 in depth. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. 
Um, Romans chapter 1 deals with man as a sinner. Romans 2, um, 2, 3, and 4 deal with um, religious men on different levels and shows that all are sinners. And Romans 5 brings in salvation by faith. Romans 6 tells us we should not continue in sin now that we're saved. And this is just a quick summary. Romans 7 tells us that even though we're saved and shouldn't sin, we still sin, which is exactly what Galatians 5 just said. The flesh worth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are the contrary, the one to another, so that ye cannot do that which ye would. Galatians, or Romans chapter 8 comes in with this blessed hope. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. Now you say, well, I, God saved me, but but <coughs> I've committed too much sin to ever really be anything special in the eyes of God. Do you know what you're saying about the blood of Jesus? Do you know that when you say that, you are doubting the power of God that raised Christ from the dead? And you're saying that the power that raised Christ from the dead cannot free you from your past, cannot free you from your sin, cannot free you from your guilt, cannot free you from your fear? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Christ, there's power to live a holy life. Now, Romans 8, we're not going to get into it much, but it says here um, that that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It says in verse um, 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It says um, down here in verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. To mortify the deeds of the body takes nothing more and nothing less than the power of the Spirit of God. The reality is that if you can conquer your lust, if you can conquer your desire, for alcohol and drunkenness, if you can conquer your anger, if you can conquer these things with the power of your own flesh, then you don't really need God, first of all. And secondly, if you conquer it in the flesh, then your flesh has some measure of righteousness. Now, that righteousness is a self-righteousness, and this is what the devil wants you to do. The devil wants you to try and walk as a follower of Christ without the Spirit of God animating that walk. The devil wants you to come up with a way, steps and programs and accountability partners and everything else, um, Christian psychologists, Christian counselors, um, small group studies, all this stuff to help you to live like you are a child of God when you're not, or to live like you're a follower of Jesus Christ when you're saved, but you're living in rebellion to God and sin, and you've gone back to many of the ways of the world. The devil wants you to do that, to live in a wicked, he wants you to live a self-righteous life. But what God is calling us to is a life of faith, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our text today says, In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. That walk of sin, the walk of horrible sin, sins of the heart, sins of the body. There's a contrast that we looked at today. The contrast between the child of disobedience and the true child of God, born again by the Spirit of God, walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. I hope this has helped you today. We're nowhere near done with this 
study, and that's okay. We're right in the middle of Colossians chapter 3. We need to keep it, keep on and continue, and Lord willing, we'll dive into the next verses um, tomorrow if we can get that up. Thank you for your patience. I pray that God blesses you. Love you in the Lord.